K-Shed Uncuffed is live. We're trying to do what we can to switch on over from audio podcast to video podcast. So this is going to be kind of like a hybrid style uh, recording episode, episode number 16. Um, uh, Joe, what's the name of, of our episode going to be? I would say Mental Health and Humanity. Mental Health and Humanity. Uh, I, I, we were trying to figure out which one. I was going to come up with, uh, you know, the joining of two forces, you know, but health and humanity is spot on. Okay. So, so that's what we're going to call our episode today. Uh, Case yet uncovered is, is <laughs> as they're making smoothies in the background. We're gonna be making smoothies for you. We're gonna be pouring it out nice and delicious and rich and dense with good stuff that's gonna make you go, Oh, yeah, heaven in a cup, right heaven here on K Shed Uncuffed. But with the daily vitamin, you know, and that's that's there to keep you all lively and, and inspired and all that stuff. But one of the one of the main reasons why K Shed Uncuffed was created. It was to kind of take advantage of the platform to be able to reach out to certain people, not just, uh, you know, in person, but remotely uh, with all the streaming uh, services that they have going on right now. It's important to be able to tap into that. And so with me being a former police officer, it gives me more dimensions than probably a normal person because I was inside the, uh, the, the establishment of uh, the police department. And imagine, you know, a police officer who's black. <laughs> So I, I've experienced a lot of different things. So um, one of the main reasons why I want to revisit uh, mental health, it's kind of like a situation where my, how I retired from being a police officer wasn't mutual. It was kind of like a forced situation. I wasn't prepared to be done, but it was it was made that way. So in short, I felt that a, that a white supervisor was treating me unfairly uh, due to my race. I did everything I could to be able to try to go to other supervisors and ask for help. Um, the situation did not cease and didn't, it almost got worse. So as the months went by, I was, I was trying to make it work because I knew this particular supervisor was going to be retiring soon. So rather than, um, it kind of like dying off, it just continued to get worse and, and nobody was helping me. So it, what I ended up having to do was, was, uh, go to human resources and I, and I filed a grievance against the supervisor. Uh, once the unit that I was in at the time heard about that, rather than um, back me up, I'm the victim, you know, rather than back me up, they chose to back up this white supervisor who was getting ready to retire sometime soon. And then they banded together and they retaliated against me, made life miserable. So in the end, uh, I did the best I could. I would I would go about my day. I was a detective at the time. I'd go about my day and I'd handle my cases out in the streets. Then all of a sudden, they started kind of, you know, calling me up and say, hey, where you at? You need to come back to the station. And now I'm back at the station dealing with this hostile environment which made no sense. So all kinds of protocols and policies were broken. You can't do that to someone, I mean, who's, who's filed a complaint of, of, of discrimination. You just can't do that. You gotta protect them. But rather than doing that, they did the exact opposite. So uh, one time there was a situation where they felt that I did something wrong on an investigation. I'm going this air quotes and stuff like that. That's their version. And so uh, I ended up getting put on leave because they felt that I, uh, I, I did not do a, a, a check that I was supposed to do, which I ended up doing, and it was it was proved down the road. But anyway, so when I was placed on leave, I started going on a downward spiral, and um, just this depression, couldn't get up, couldn't, you know, I mean, my family's looking at me like, what's wrong with dad? Uh, I had no real uh, inner energy to get up out of the bed and go. My wife was just saying, you need to get up there and start doing another job and do something to stay busy. It was very, very tough. And one particular night, it was my, it was uh, either mother, it was one of the, it was our anniversary, I think me and my wife's anniversary or something like that. So we go to uh, um, a comedy club out there in San Francisco, right? And um, just to kind of keep myself busy and everything. So as we're driving home, there's this car that pulls right up next to us, just out of the blue in San Francisco, starts yelling at me. You know, I'm driving and stuff, and then here I am in a like a back and forth kind of like a road rage situation with this dude, and um, he has a has a passenger and stuff, and they just would not back off. I'm yelling at him. I'm thinking if I yell back and I kind of puff my chest up a little bit, you know, they see this angry black dude, they may back off a little bit. That didn't happen. These guys kept coming back and forth with me. Now they're kind of, you know, uh, 
you know, paralleling us as we're trying to head through San Francisco towards the Bay Bridge. And I'm just like, wait a minute here. This is getting scary. I don't want to be doing this back and forth on the Bay Bridge. So I stopped right before the Bay Bridge, right? And I parked my car up a little bit and I got out because I didn't want them to come over where I was to, to harm my wife. So I go over where these guys are and, and I'm, and I'm, kind of in these dudes face the passenger I'm like what the f man and there's like what the f back at me and 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 the passenger said you better get out of here and i didn't even notice he had a gun pointed right at my stomach and rather than i mean you can go through all the different motions of what you should do in that moment i chose the probably the worst thing i could do i lunged for him and i tried to grab that gun and luckily <laughs> the i think that scared the driver and he punched it and they they zipped out of there and when i got in the car i was in shock because nisha didn't know what had just happened when i told her she's like what did you just do so the next day i had to uh she forced me to start calling my therapist again so i called her up and after talking to her again she asked me kenny are you suicidal are do you want to die and i and it shook me a little bit and i just like i don't know maybe my subconscious was saying it's time to get out of here and i didn't know how else to do it other than i couldn't do it myself so my my mind was in a different place luckily the therapist was able to talk me down talk me off the ledge which we're going to talk more into uh down the road um talk me down the ledge she was able to get me to to see my inner strengths and to let go of the police department let it go kenny is what she said uh your time has kind of come past and once i made that decision to let it go and i advised my police department that I, i'm done fighting you guys it's been a good ride i'm going to mutually part ways and then and that's how it all ended and, and the police department obviously moves on I, and i've lived a better life ever since then so I, i'm now back even so i reached out to some friends here and uh uh, you know, kind of like for encouragement and all that stuff. And the one person I'm always going to think of when it comes to mental health, I'm making <laughs> it's my guy here. Joe, can you introduce yourself and tell me, man, yeah. you know, what you bring to the table here with this? Yeah, well, can you say this is like an answer prayer to have this conversation because it's such a tough role to be a police officer and be expected of the community to be there when you need them. But then when you're in need, it's like, yeah, well, you know, that's not our problem, <laughs> you know, for wow. the community, for the most part. And again, you are, to me, anyone who's going to risk their life to help somebody else, to save somebody else, is, is family to me. So that's like an automatic like bond of, of, of family right there. And like any family, you're going to have your different characters. You're going to have those who abuse their roles within it. You're going to have those who yeah, are different. But in general that's the respect i have for the role of physician and again to know that you have that experience and now that you're uncuffed and you're more free to speak it's good for me because we are in a time where we really need to understand each other's behavior and what's coming down the road is if we don't recognize the incipients of what's happening we're going to be too much in the storm of it to do anything and there's an expression i've heard once that said words are impotent in times of war when there's war words are impotent something like that meaning there comes a time when words don't have power anymore so we have to act when there's still a chance of reason more people have come over too much with their rage and their anger and their delusion we have to somehow get into how people feel deep down inside how they look at each other how they see each other how they perceive each other how they empathize with others and for me as a paramedic i was noticing we're responding to all these traumas in my opinion they could have been prevented if people again would just look at each other differently look at each other more respect and i come from a place where there was racism flat out there's no ifs ands or buts about it it's, it's where was that Newtown, Connecticut. I am actually from Sandy Hook. I attended Sandy Hook Elementary School. Sandy Hook? The Sandy Hook? The Sandy Hook. Holy smokes. Um, we, I, from winter fourth grade into the winter wow. fifth grade. Very last place I lived in Connecticut before moving to California in the middle of sophomore year was right across the street in the volunteer fire department, which is right adjacent to the driveway to Sandy Hook Elementary oh, oh, wow. So I literally lived up the hill from Sandy Hook Elementary before moving here. Wow. When I go back there, my I had an aunt who lived down in Riverside Road by Lake Zor, and so we have to pass 
the school all the time. You know, each each trip in town, out of town. No, so so you know you you've seen it all. Like yeah, uh, paint everywhere you seem to go, right? I have, and that's where we're gonna get to this with with trauma and and tragedy. Now, especially when we hear from the top that people can look at their fellow citizens as enemies, can look at their fellow citizens as that person. I think that is the biggest ancient seduction of humanity is to convince people to look at other people by a label by a group anything other than who they are and in that way that's where all that falsehood begins that is decay of humanity that's where it begins by looking at people and calling what they're not and because you called them what they're not you think it's justified to do what we've been taught not to do since our youth and the one trick of the devil if you will by any name you want to call it evil devil whatever that one trick of inhumanity is to get people to believe their untrue statements is true you know religions since the beginning of time have tried to put that in words don't yeah. worship idols don't don't be an idolater and people are like that's crazy nobody goes around and worships an idol nobody worships something that they put in stone but yet they'll worship their idea their their imagined creation of this is the way it is. This is the way it is. Uh, we'll do everything according to this imagination. Yeah. And I will call this imagination truth. And part of the way that it becomes successful is, again, how we describe the world around us. And I literally heard the N-word. I mean, nothing. And I didn't hear it like, hey, man, you're my brother, nigga. It wasn't put like that. It was those It, it was the official it was, Mississippi uh, version. And I can't, I can't, I'm going to share with you an embarrassing well, story. Well, so, I mean, just, you know, for the audio, yeah. people who are listening audio, I'm sitting here, I'm a black dude right here, um, sitting with two fine-looking white dudes and stuff like that, who are man. very, very, very white. <laughs> There's no mistaking, they're very white. So, obviously, you can already see and know that they, I mean, especially me, and I grew up in Iowa, so I had a lot of white friends, and so I already know the type of experience they've had, which is growing up white. Uh, I hate this, and I'm not saying the black black lives are, you know, down here, but I'm quite sure that the, some of the experiences and some of the obstacles that they had to face aren't quite the same as what, uh, you know, some of the black people had to deal with. Uh, my uncle obviously uh, grew up in Mississippi and he would always say, you know, it's, it's not that I don't like being black, but sometimes it can be so dang inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Bland. Yeah. I wrote that down and, uh, because you asked us in the beginning, I think before you started recording, that you were going to hit us with questions. And if I, Sarah Bland. If I surprised you with the fact that I was going to ask you questions about being a police officer, um, that you would want to ask us questions about racism. And I think Sarah Bland is an individual that brings both topics together really well. She died by suicide in custody after being pulled over for I a do. blinker. That's how I know that name. For being pulled over by a blinker. No, it wasn't in San Leandro. It happened somewhere else. Another state, but, I believe. Yeah. yeah, but her story is reflective, though, of the general despair a person can feel when they have all of life ahead of them, but yet they won't be allowed to pursue it because of the racism that isn't called racism, that is denied as racism, but it is nothing less than racism. By looking at another individual as less than deserving of respect, as less than being motivated for good, looking at someone as looking to do harm, looking to do evil, and and even by the residue of that suspicion in a person's soul, it pollutes how people interact. And so that's the racism that gets ignored and goes, oh, I'm not racism. It's just, but that's the way it is. You look at the brown on brown crime, you know, stupidity, things like that. And they think that they've got facts to justify their ignorance and to justify the racism that they're not calling racism because it's their opinion. It's not. It's just, well, they're just different because when I talk to the American Heart Association, talk about institutional racism, is it racist to tell a person that, you know, you are more predisposed to die for no real reason except, you know, you're black. 
But, you know, there's other risk factors you might be able to take care of, like your diet, lack of stress, and all of these things. When, in my opinion, well, is it that it's the person's skin color that's just predispositioning them to, to cardiac arrest and sudden death? Or is it the fact that they're given more stress, they're eating, they're being forced to eat the poorer diets, all these Ooh, other things, wow. all these other, that. and if that's not blatantly racist to tell somebody, oh, we well, we're not racist, everybody's the same, well, you're more likely to die for no reason than we are because, you know, you're just made that way. And that's blatantly racist, so I refuse to teach that, pass that along, so I would say this is what we've been told, but think about it is it really that or is it because of all these other risk factors that they've noticed that they're loading on to people hey are there any punching bags here in the uh, in, in zoclos because i can see us getting all wound up <laughs> and jumping over this at the same time though uh me and i'm me, me being a police officer uh, nine times out of ten, the suspect we were going to arrest was black. No, I get it. So it's hard for me being black to be, you know, uh, supporting the black cause when I'm like showing up and I got some black dudes running after, or or the, I, you see some old, older white lady with a freaking knot the size of a baseball on the side of her head because you just got robbed and punched to the ground by by a group of young black kids and stuff. So. When you classify, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, what percentage of true racists do you think exists in like in the world in general? Because I, I can't say all white people are racist, but because but I know what a racist looks like if I saw it. Because they don't they don't hide anything. They tell you how they really feel. Have you guys? What do you guys think about that? My grandpa was like that. My my mother, my grandmother's uh, second husband, totally like that. It, 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 right out of his mouth that them and them this and them that that's all those them this that. and if they came to the house yeah, it was, it was on like, huh i don't even remember that ever happened but uh <laughs> but just just even watching television on the couch she's like okay. <laughs> um, but yeah. that was normal so was was that what made you decide i got to get out of connecticut because it was too bland too nothing much going on and you're just this highly inner spirit that just has to be, you know, no, let was, go of. I was. Don't uh, give me a boring story now. No, just no. Wayne just got them saying how boring white guys are. Give me something. <laughs> My mom moved to California to get as far away from her ex-husband as oh. they could. He used to beat her. Oh no. And uh, oh. so, if there's anything that can take away the idea of white supremacy, is watching white men beat your mother. So, if there's anything in the world that can say that whole white myth is a effing myth, is an effing myth is to watch a man with pale skin beat your mother and then you go through life hearing anybody somehow say that there's any kind of superiority in pale skin is like that's the biggest one bullshit. Wow. It's all about character as an individual. And and that's that's what's important is that we just try not to forget that we have to talk to each other like individuals who are their own individuals, not attached to the crimes of others, not attached to the sins, methodologies, myths, traditions of others, other than what we all are, product of what we've seen, heard, taught, what we've learned. So every chance that we have to meet somebody is a new chance to bring light, to bring wisdom, to gain knowledge, to gain wisdom, but this all needs respect. And so all the talk about solutions, guns, no guns, mental health, until we actually really see other people as in the same boat we are, with this, we're all walking each other home. I heard one proverb recently that said, we're all just walking each other home. Unless we really understand that and be mindful of that, we're always gonna have the reasons to fight. You know, it's easy, and, and the more greedy and selfish a person is, the more reasons they're gonna have to keep other people. You know, and we know we're in bad times now where legislation is trying to bring back the divisions to male and female, to where you know, we're a man, you're a woman, so we can well, automatically say that other half doesn't have what we have, they can't get what we get, so it's automatically just cut off half our competition right now, put women down. There's something they gotta do what they're told, they gotta obey, because that's what God said. So let's start legislating it. Political political a, stuff. That is such a bunch of gold Political stuff is gonna be something that, that we <laughs> we band together. And we put our heads together like, okay, how do we fix this government stuff? <laughs>
Um, you know, but at the same time, in order to be able to do that, we're going to have to kind of like, uh, you know, one the twins. Remember that? Uh, <laughs> we're going to figure how do we how do we do this? I you know I don't know how we're going to be able to fix the the, the trans well, thing. Well, part of it is calling calling out just. What a matter imagine the mental uh, anguish that that they're going through right oh, absolutely, now. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, so to bring it all back, you know, I mean, we we all this is the open forum, and we're all gonna uh, chime in as far as like. So I heard this, I saw this one um, open forum. This one gentleman, I don't know his name, but uh, he was a legislator. I know that he was like a, a council member or something like that, whatever city. So. They had, and the discussion of that day was trans, transgender. And so there was a lady, I'm going to say lady, but you could tell he was a trans lady. Um, you know, he had the man characteristics and stuff. And he, I think he even talked like uh, with a deep voice. So it was very obvious that he was a man, but he was, his point was to prove that he's now transitioning into a female. So he took advantage of the about ability to ask this guy uh so joe you brought up trans so we're gonna go there because it all ties into mental health and um so he asked this council member well how do you define a woman you know tell me how you define a woman and he's like well you know I, I how do you define a woman and he put it right back on him and he's like well actually let me ask you this you're 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 a paramedic right and you show up to a scene where a guy is transitioning into a female, he's obviously trans female, and you're the paramedic, you're professional, you get there and, and you ask him, you know, start to treat him, and you ask him what's wrong. And he's and, and he's like, the, the female says, I, I, I'm having a miscarriage. I think I'm having a miscarriage. Now, you know, that's a man, because he, he identifies as he has a penis, so you know he's a man. So uh, are you going to literally start treating him because he has a miscarriage? And unfortunately, you know what happened to the kid who asked the question? Turned pale, and and he had no. You saw that? Had no other choice but then to say, no, I wouldn't. And then I think that ended that discussion right there. You treat for abdominal pain. I don't see. I honestly don't see why that's a problem because obviously you see might see something that you've got a man saying that he's having a miscarriage, but you might see the equipment doesn't match but i don't know any paramedic who checks a patient's equipment just to make sure that they're telling the truth if they say they're male or female it's not part of the it's not part of the did you did you did you verify gender by visual you know they don't have boxes did you verify wow. by palpation did you squeeze it to find out did you look at it to find out no they don't I picked up a man from Salinas Valley or Salinas State Prison. I gotta get Joe with it. And I honestly, that was good. I honestly didn't know. I I thought it was a woman. I, I didn't know. I had the guard was with me. I had to show him the patient care report where it says male, female. I didn't know, so I asked the guard, and he said male because you know everyone in that prison is male. Oh. So I said okay, but I didn't know. But my feelings on this are personally, I think that anyone who is against the trans community for any reason personally my opinion is it's because they don't feel comfortable with somebody where they have to be an all-around good person around them without any excuses meaning if 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 i know i'm hanging out with the guys i might be able to talk like one of the guys and i'm safe but if i'm hanging around with one of the guys i might not really be a guy i ain't so safe and I don't, and people might not want that uncomfortable feeling. They want to just be, a, point. be a pig comfortably whenever they want to be oh, a pig. Yeah. And, and if suddenly someone's making them feel like, oh, now I'm with somebody who might start treating me like meat, might start looking at me like I have to prove myself to not be physically forced or to, to be, be harassed or to be verbally made uncomfortable. I don't really like how that feels so instead of me being a better human being and making sure i never put another person in that position as a as a as a man or whatever i would rather just be against anybody making me feel that way screw empathy i just want to be me and then if i want to be a pig and a jerk and, and, and bias and prejudice my family better well let me and not make me feel accountable that to see how it's wrong or how it feels wrong to have another one look at you as property 
or look at you like something they can use, something that they can just take into their own and, and become and do what they want to it. So Patient Uncuffed is going on the road. Uh, to me, this is so important. Audio podcasts are, are cool, uh, you know, but studies are showing that, that it's becoming increasingly more important to go out and have video podcasts because you're sitting down there with your guests and all that stuff. So uh, that's I'm going to be going on the road. I'm going to be like John Madden and all that stuff and everything. If, you know, I'll be, hey, sometimes I don't like to fly, so I might end up having to jump in my car and go a thousand miles to who my next guest is going to be. But that's what we're going to do. KCS going to make that happen because I feel like it's my job now to, to represent my race. I can't represent the white race, but I'm seeing some great representatives of the white race here today. And that would have, wouldn't have happened if I didn't j jump in my car and come down to San Leandro and sit down with these guys. Stuff. So I'm getting one hell of an education today. When I, um, when I was working, I had a call once where, uh, unfortunately, this, I don't want to say unfortunately, but there was this young kid at that age, that very fragile age, junior high, got about to go into high school or whatever, and you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, facial features that would, if they grow up, they would be a, a model. Very pretty kid, a good-looking kid is how I'm kind of describing. So, you know, one where you model agencies would be going around and they would see this kid and, um, you know, make him into a pr very pretty male model. Right. So but he wanted to be a girl. So our calls started shifting to family disputes because now this kid is letting his hair grow and transitioning to like makeup. Um, and now he's a pretty kid, but more of a pretty girl. And now there's family disputes because they don't really, they're not understanding what's going on and he'll or she will go to school, get bullied and then come home and need support. No one really knew how to do that. And unfortunately, she tried to kill herself one day. And uh, on this particular call, the family calls because they're at work and they got a call from her saying she's done and she's going to kill herself. So what we ended up, and they said she was going to do it by gas. So we are quickly getting there. Obviously, any call with any kid, you're, you're busting your butt to get there. And we get there. We don't know what to expect. And it, there, was the, there was no family there yet, just yet. So me and the other officer, we're, we know that, that they might have hurt themselves. So we had to go in. It was a very scary kind of call because we didn't know if if they're gonna take themselves out with a gun and then then they're gonna take us out too. So we had to proceed with caution into this house. Just him and I are searching this 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 house to make sure that that you know there's no dangers and then and we can't see because there's smoke. It was crazy. It was a crazy scene. And then when we finally made it on this side of the house, we see her laid out and just barely not awake, not responsive. And then so now we have to say, paramedics got to come in there. We got to get in here now. It was a very, very tough call. And so in the end, our, our paramedics were able to get in safely and, and, and save this kid. But I don't remember any other good, 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 uh, you know, outcomes from any other calls from that house after that. I think she might have either left home or ran away or something might have happened that this wasn't a good outcome for the situation. And I, it's sad because I saw it from the very beginning, the transition period and then the fallout. And, this, and it's the bullying thing and it's the mental health. How do you help these kids? I was introduced to a woman uh, some years ago and uh, become lovers and, and live together. And about a year into our relationship, she received a letter from her son saying that he had known he was a woman trapped in a man's body since he was about nine years old. And this was a, just a complete damn wow. He was off in college and I got this letter. I hadn't met him yet. And that just threw her off into a wow. I wasn't expecting this. But then all of a sudden she started looking back and going, okay, well, now that makes sense. Well, oh, that makes sense. Wow. Well, okay, well, now that makes sense. But still, it was a it was a reckoning for her of, of uh, a time of wow. What is this? So with anticipation, when he was going to come out, I was like, didn't know what to expect. You know, myself when I met him. But I met a man who 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 represented you know the best of both, and I, I saw his mother, his beautiful mother, in him. Uh, oh, wow. 
Yeah. I did. And, uh, and so what's wrong with that? And so that's why I think this whole anti-trans is really anti. It just shows a core of people are just generally against humanity if they're against somebody being themselves like that. Because well, I think it's been well, from the beginning of time, people have had love for for age. And, and obviously, we'll let you we'll let you go with that, uh, Wayne. But you know, uh, my job is to keep things light, so everybody knows me. I always kind of make jokes here and there and all that stuff, but people know I'm really really serious and stuff like that too. Uh, so, but but Joe, I actually I thought you were gonna say that that he called his mother to say that he wanted to uh, play for the San Francisco 49ers, and you know. Uh, that's the team that I <laughs> consider my my nemesis. I'm a I'm an Oakland Raider to the T, and uh, I was just like, okay, all right. That what what's the worst thing I could think of at this point? So I take the time to take a dig at at, at, at my rivals, and there's a reason why. Um, you know, one one time when we were playing in the um, when I was playing with the Raiders, the freaking Niners were beating the crap out of uh, or the Cardinals one one year, right? And we were beating the San Diego Chargers, right? And this is when the Raiders hated the Niners and all that stuff, big time. And so, and we needed to win our game, and we needed the Niners to to beat the Cardinals, uh, so we can get or what? So we can get that last spot in the playoffs. Or it wasn't the Cardinals; it had to be like an AFC team. So we needed them to beat that team, and they were beating the crap out of them at halftime. And we won our game, right? So we're all celebrating because the Niners are about to beat these guys, and we're going to playoffs. Ten minutes later, we did a score update. These Niners let the freaking team come back and beat them, and I know for a fact that that it's because. They didn't want to see us go to the playoffs. That's how much hate the Raiders and the Niners had for each other. I swear to God, I swear. So, so you know, I'm you know, I want to obviously keep things. I want to keep things light and all that stuff. Um, there, we have to accept the fact that there's only going to be so much we can do for for everything. And you know, I mean, I mean, I mean Joe, that's a hard we, balance. That's, that's a hard, hard balance. balance. It is because for for you. That one day when you, you know, I mean, I don't know what led to that. That one day that you, you know, the day. Well, I don't know which way you're talking about, but I'm going to go back to an instant where. I'm talking about the Golden Gate thing. Okay, before that, I want to talk about apathy in that there was a time when I was watching my stepdad beat my mom and I ran to a neighbor for help. And he said something that changed my life by watching. And as he's watching this fight, and I was saying, help, help, daddy's beating up on me. He goes, I don't want to get involved. And that right there was probably one of the Are most you, serious. My heart just sunk. Was the most serious, probably influential instance of my life. Because with instant disbelief and shock and being appalled, I just looked at that like, how, how, how is that? What? I will never be that person. And I vow that instant, I will never be that person. So when people say, well, there's only so much you can do, I'm like, yeah, well, that's so much. It's everything I can, you know. It's like you're right. Yeah, so much. You're right. But the more you give, the more you're gonna get. As a writer trying to to, to prevent war, as a writer by by trying to get people to see each other, people say, "Oh, poetry should be a hobby. Do it part time." And I say, "Part time labor produces gets part time wages." And if I really, really want to prevent war, I gotta give it full time effort to expect any kind of success. So yeah, there's only so much we can do, but I do believe we can do something, and it's all to all of us to do it. And we never know at what instant it's going to be that instant we have to shine, be that example for others. And the only way to do that is just be a good person by having love for the people around you, having respect for the people around you, acknowledging that the people around you may be just as divine and loved as you are, and God cherish them through life just like He did you. And even though they're in a bad time and you can't see clearly and they're angry and frustrated and yelling at somebody outside of a car because they're frustrated, you know, and it just reflects itself all over. Can I share? So it's so wild that we're the topics of what we're talking about. Um, but there's all it seems there always be the ability to to make amends with whatever. And the reason why I said that is what the uh, piggyback of what you just said. So growing up, and I, like I said, I grew up in Iowa. Iowa is like 95.6% white. The rest is everything else. <laughs> so there's a, growing up in high school, there's a, there's, I remember three or four in particular uh, white guys 
who uh, at that time they shaved their head and they started wearing the garb, the skinhead garb, like they, they were some serious racists and they let you know it. And, uh, and just these good looking dudes, I keep saying that because they weren't like these nasty ballers with muscles and stuff. They were just like really kind of down to earth, humble looking dudes. Then all of a sudden everything just changed. And then now they turn into these scary looking guys who just would give you this look that appears through your soul. If, if you were black and you look and you got in their way, it was very, very scary. And everybody, they started making a reputation that you didn't mess with these guys. So the other black people in our school, we all just like, hey, that's leave these guys alone. And we did. So fast forward to later on in life, I'm in, I'm on Facebook and I'm, you know, you Facebook surfing, uh, you know, and you kind of look at, and one of these guys is like surrounded with family uh, and uh, function gatherings with nothing but black people. And I think he even married a black girl. I mean, because he's all close and have photos and stuff. I'm just like, I was shaking my head like, wait, what? It was so heartwarming and everything too. I wanted to call them up, mess them up, but then I just, I, did, I said, let me just leave that one alone because it was just mind blowing how he he'd go from that extreme to the next, you know? And, and so I think you're right when you say, Joe, there is a way to save and bond and be there for people. It's just all you have to do is just figure out how to, you know, kind of put yourself way in the back and focus on who it is you're, you're talking to. You got to be willing to take a hit in a way in conversation, meaning we got to be willing to be pummeled and still still hold our ground be decent human being. I think that's important meaning that no matter how we're treated, it's still up to us to represent what's good, what's right. I've been in an alleyway with someone who literally told me he was a card carrying member of the KKK. And I'm explaining to him to the divinity of, of brown skin is is like any color of a flower there. It's totally asinine for one color to say to another color, I'm better than you. It's it's so so silly if only I say that and again I'm saying this to somebody who literally told me he was a card carrying member but I think we have to be willing to, to say what's right even again when somebody has a different opinion and not just be all jello-y and go oh yeah okay well that opinion is okay well okay no I think that's why a lot of horrible things happen because there aren't enough people who are brave enough to stop somebody when they're only talking about the evil, when they're only talking about doing bad, the people are confident enough themselves and confident enough that there is a good path that we should be on, which means decency toward others. And if we stray from that, it's bad for everybody. It's bad for the individual who's doing it. It's bad for everybody around. So don't let it go branch off there, even in conversation someone starts talking about others as things that is the instant right there where we're in danger and that's as soon as one particular popular uh, political candidate came onto the stage and started talking about people as things and dividing people as things it was like oh you don't want to say his name huh i won't and you have the 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 instant disease that i saw in that instant commencement of the spread of deadly lethal disease started when people started accepting that it's okay to look at people as things and by things meaning whatever you call them left whatever whatever name you want to give somebody that doesn't acknowledge the fullness of all that they are we're in trouble and that's what's too accepted nowadays and why i left the ambulance even because i believe that when people don't respect others because they don't see it. And so when one group hates another group and this group thinks that group, it's because there's not enough of that mingling for that group to know the other group. And because of that, they're perfectly think it's okay to say what they say and believe what they believe because in their world, that's the way it is. And unless there's enough of that understanding, there's no way to, to bridge that and make people not want to run down and chase and, and lynch some was curious looking at a construction site. Wow, look at this. So, this, is what it, this is what it looks like when you're just building it. Wow, it's pretty dang cool. Well, anyway, time to continue on my my dog. And then all of a sudden, be chased down by, by two people who won't let you leave. They won't let you explain yourself. Three. They won't let you get out of it. Yeah. And uh, 
No, no, no. That was I. I do exactly where you're going with that one. And that's what I love about you, man. You get you get deep and you get wound up. Give enough respect to know that looking at people like that, right? It's gonna just keep continuing and fostering, and there's gonna be this onto civil war, onto downright civil war, and that's unfortunately what some people are trying to plan because they believe they're gonna be the ones that come out on top. So they're. They're throwing the little, they're, they're throwing the embers into the forest, going, ha, 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 oh, it is, oh, because I've got my fortifications, I've got my resources, I've all got it all figured out, so I'm going to throw these little embers into the forest, and the forest will burn itself while I, you know, hide in my bunker or, or hide in my many miles of surrounded, you know, fenced-in privilege. Um, Those compounds, huh? Yeah, yeah, and how to break through, how to break that what plagues me every day and why i you know daily from the time i wake up to the time i go to sleep trying to figure out how to get people to respect each other to see that other people are just as divine as you are which means they're not more likely to do something bad behind your back you gotta be suspicious and that's what people don't recognize as racist and racist is when you look at anybody as in some way being less likely to please the great creator than you are Period. Period. If you don't think the person you're looking at is just as able to make God go, oh, right, I love you, man. I love you. You are so awesome. Then you don't see it. And you can't, then, then whatever comes out of your mouth is going to be just partial vision. Partial vision stuff. It doesn't do as good for humanity as someone who really sees the, the yeah. fact that Kenny was, was spare. He, he, he swam through the lake of crocodiles. And here he is on the other side, retired. <laughs> Lake of crocodiles. <laughs> well, hey, I I would say five percent were those crocodiles. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the other nine, the other ninety five, I I loved to death, and they just were great, great individuals, and I. I had a great time going out there on the streets, uh, working with those. Uh, Twenty years on on the streets, um, you know. And so, but I I did some, I made some mistakes and all that stuff too. I mean, I let my my mouth get the best of me when I should have been humble. And you know, sometimes what comes with that badge is that authority. And that was one of the things, one of the most humbling things when I got my badge and uh, gun and uh, my keys to the building and all that stuff taken from me. And I was just like thrown outside into the cold. Yeah, yeah, what do you do now? And so when I transitioned from playing football to being a cop, it was easy because I already knew my retiring from the police or from the football was coming. So I was prepped and ready and I had all the stuff in place. What jarred me was that all of a sudden I have a job and I'm proposed to go four or five more years making some good money to set up my retirement. And then I got into it apparently with some guy who had a different view than me and they wanted me out and so that's what happened and then just like that so um you know life is a full of uh struggle you know but i'm no different than anybody else and joe uh, i don't know if you wanted to share for our uh, listeners you know the the golden gate story sure um on april 22nd Coincidentally, yesterday was April 22nd, but on April 22nd of 2005, I drove to the Golden Gate Bridge with the intent to, to jump off. And the reason for this was just not being able to escape this feeling that there are things more important than making money, and that thing more important than making money is trying to make peace on Earth. And every I was just surrounded by a constant demand that if you don't have you don't spend your time making money, you can't have a place to live, you can't have this, you can't have that. And all I had was the backseat of a car. Oh. Because to me, again, time, time is the one thing we have that is probably the most sacred of all. Because with it, from that one thing, we can do everything else. And I can see that there's no hour that I can spend that is more productive and beneficial for humanity than an hour that I can spend thinking and contemplating how to right our wrongs, how to somehow get us to see each other better. But that by believing enough in people to believe enough that we can get to that point where we don't want to shoot each other, it's poverty. Poverty, because people are like, I don't care, where's the, where's the money for this? Where, spare me your love of humanity, blah, blah, blah. Where's the money? Where's, I have people killing each other, raping each other, whatever. Where's the money? Oh, you think it's going to happen here? Yeah, well, I don't care. Where's the money? And... So I just wanted to jump off the bridge. I didn't see an escape for it. It's not that I wanted to die. It's just I couldn't see an escape from that. Just how? 
anyway, so yeah, no, wow. I'm ashamed to say that I even, I even, when I dropped my older son off at school, he was going to City Arts and Tech in uh, San Francisco, charter school in San Francisco, and I was so embarrassed I did this, and like, how could any father do this? And, but I dropped him off, and I told him that I was driving to the Golden Gate, I'm going to jump, there's nothing you can do to stop it, whatever you do in life, don't be a paramedic and don't be a poet. Don't be a paramedic because of all the trauma it will expose you to. Don't be a poet because it'll make you think you can do something about it when you can't. And so don't be either of those things. And I'm only telling you I'm going to jump so you don't spend the rest of your life wondering what happened to dad. Is he ever coming back? Will he ever show up in my life again? I want you to know that I'm not. I am going to kill myself if I don't see a way out of this. Living in the back of a car where you can't even... You just want to sleep, you're a criminal. It's against the law to sleep in your car. You are an effing criminal for wanting to go to sleep. Anyway, so that's a whole other story. Homelessness is another story. But I dropped him off, told him where I was going to go. I drove to the bridge, or I drove to the parking lot. I think it's called the East Parking Lot. Walked my way there, hanging attaché case of six collections of poetry I had made by that time. Hung it over the rail, climbed over, sat on what's called the cord, which is that the outermost rail before descent to the water. And I sat there and I, I'm looking out at the city and again thinking, it's not that I want to die, but I don't see an escape. I just don't see an escape from this. Because um, everywhere I turn, it's just, it's all about, yeah, well, how much money you got? It's not, oh, you can write a poem. Why don't you write a poem for me instead? You know? Um, anyway, so, so as I'm sitting there looking out over San Francisco, I hear a voice. I can't remember what he initially said, but it was California Highway Patrol. And as soon as he asked me where I lived, I just started crying. Back of the car. <laughs> and um, so again, he's up there trying to do his best to talk me, talk me out of it. And one thing he said that was most powerful is he said, "You know, if you jump, it's going to be permanent. You can't, cannot take it back. But but emotions are like the weather, and oh, the skies are gloomy." horrible now but those guys they will clear it, it's gloomy now eh? the weather sucks now but it will clear but you'll already be gone because you jump you're, you're dead so you can't you can't do anything and another thing he said was you can do much more while you're alive than you can when you're dead and so if you want to make any difference in the world you can't you're dead you do understand that you're dead you, you might want this you might want that you might hope this but Make no mistake, you're dead. You can't do it. So if you want any goodness to change the world, you have to be that goodness. You have to be that change. And um, so I climbed back up over the rail and, you know, knew the procedure because I was a medic. And one of the things I was thinking, too, when I decided is that when I was a medic, we ran a call out to Arroyo Seco outside of, in the, outside of Salinas, in the Salinas Valley. And Arroyo Seco is a, like a canyon that runs through the salad bowl of the world there. And there was a woman who was threatening to jump. So we were called out there. And we got there, sheriff said, I, I'm sure, I, I don't know what to do. And she was sitting on the edge of this cliff. It's sure death if she were to jump. So I just walked a safe distance away from her so she knew I wasn't gonna rush her to catch her. I wasn't, I wasn't in any way threatening to her. I stayed enough distance and I sat down on the ledge just like she was sitting on the ledge. And I was just looking out and I said, sure is beautiful. And she goes, okay, all right, well, I'll go. And she went in and she- and <laughs> Really? She, yeah, yeah. And she went, she went with me into the ambulance and she, she decided to, to that's to, awesome. to go. And I thought, what if, what, if she did, what if she said, yeah, it's beautiful here, but so what? And she jumped. I forever I would have the memory <laughs> of, yeah, it would have forever broken my heart. I didn't want to do that to the officer who was obviously doing his best to, to give me hope. So that's why I climbed Ooh. back up over the rails. Ooh. And uh, wow. Wow. And he, he treated me with professional courtesy. He let me sit in the front seat with him. Uh, I, I really thought he'd remember me because he taught, I taught him something. He said, when uh, you know, I was handcuffed and I'm in the front seat, but he let me sit in the front, not the back. And he was getting hot in the car and I was wearing a baseball cap. So I just leaned forward and rolled the window down with my baseball cap. <laughs> he said he never thought about that. He was like, oh, oops. <laughs> oops. 
so just if I wanted, I could have just rolled that jacket. Yeah, there's, no, there's no bars in the front seat. That's for sure. That's funny. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I said you might, might remember my truck. And then he was to take me to to a transfer point where another officer was to pick me up and take me all the way in. Maybe it was a ship that off, I don't know. But literally, when we got in the car, I sang that song to song with an officer, and I sang it to tears. I mean, I was trying singing the song with an officer, which is a song of respect about how you put yourselves on the line to save yeah. others. But we get to this rendezvous point where he's supposed to give me to someone else, and he goes, no, man, I got Shakespeare in the car. No, <laughs> no, I got Shakespeare in the car, man. I, I got to keep him. I heard, heard him say that. I, I got the other Shakespeare. Officer. I got Shakespeare in the car. No, you ain't getting him. And... Uh, and he wow. took me all the way, and there he, he made yeah he made a photocopy of. I'm glad you clarify that because he said he took me in. I'm just like it should have been the hospital, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um. What do you guys think about setting up some type of forum like at the local high school and all that stuff with this group? maybe a couple others, and being able to open this type of uh, dialogue up to the kids yeah. and be able to sit and listen to them. Uh, I don't think that's, we used to do that. Uh, we did that once when I was working and it was, it was uh, powerful, but it got a little bit chaotic because the kids were very angry. They did not like cops, you could, you could tell. So I don't know how we can, we can do it where maybe it might be better with retired police officers and stuff who can kind of get a little bit more candid and say, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. That might have been a little bit of the police brutality on that one. Um, and those are the ones that where we need to, we need to report those people. So rather than fighting or becoming defiant and, and saying, no, F you officer, I'm not getting out of the car. Just get out of the car and then rec record all that stuff, you know, and then report that person. Let's get these people exposed. Don't, don't bow up because you're going to, you're going to lose. But the one thing is that that denies the very real trauma element that people have where it becomes pathological and it's not so much a choice to, to be afraid or be resistant. You have lived experience of being wounded, being mistreated, or people you know being mistreated, it's not as easy to just get out of the car. You legitimately, inside you, there's something that's freaking afraid. There's something inside of you that's terrified that the worst might be what happens. So no matter what someone else says, it's, it's, it's a base of the skull reaction where it has passed the line of reasoning and become pathological. This, this is, for the audio people, this is a white guy saying this by the way. Yeah, where, where people become afraid. And that's why I think it is so hard. And, and people shouldn't be called peace officers if they insult the community. If they're at the side of a vehicle and anything comes out of their mouth to disrespect that person behind it, they can't be, they shouldn't be called peace officers because peace officers means you foster peace. Name one person, and this will go right up to every, so you can have the whitest, most distinguished, white community in the best of possible ways even that person even that person <laughs> mental, I, forgot you were, I wanted to get so dramatic in that that i forgot where i was even going with that <laughs> that, that person's mental health is malleable there shit where's i going with that description i don't know no, no. i tried to get so much <laughs> The character that I forgot what I was going to describe about that character. Um, I felt it. Whichever way you were going with it, man. It was let, me, let, me, let me try to regain where I was going with that. Um, Wade looks like he wants to help you. Man. No, he's like, I ain't going there. Well, so Joe asked me about, like, uh, uh, you know, some of the sub uh, some of the questions that he brought down as far as like uh, suicide. I, did you know anybody who committed suicide? And um, there was an officer that I worked with, Miss Lori DeMont. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers her, but, but uh, I definitely the people who uh, will listen to the podcast who I, I work with, they'll remember Lori. And she is a uh, uh, officer who who came in and she was had her own style she wasn't like one of these like a uh, good old boy good old girl type you know she just wanted to be left alone do her job and i you know and there might have been something that i in the end i think she ended up having a wife you know so i don't know if that played a factor and why she felt alienated or something i, I don't know but, but it just seemed like i remember going to calls with her and having these conversations with her because I'm a rookie cop and I'm expecting her to be like, no, you don't do calls like that. You don't, th this is how you act. And she wasn't. And I remember on one time there was a alarm call and it was a night, we were working a night shift together and she was my partner and I was new. 
And when you're new, you're so excited. Alarm call, you think there's a suspect in there. Let's go, whatever, and search the place. The, but more, so many different false alarms, and this is a, this was a definitely a false alarm. Uh, so all you really do is just kind of make sure you shine your light, make sure everything's all safe and everything. Then you drive away and you move on. But I wanted to hop that fence and kind of go like search the place and i was excited and most other guys who at that time were like old fogies and stuff they'd grab you like shut up you get out of here you're bothering me and then they drive off and go find a place to park so but Lori wasn't like that. She's like, yeah, okay. And so she she watched my back while I hopped the fence. And then I, she's like, okay, now cover me. And so she totally played along with me and I'm covering her and all that stuff. And we're, she hops the fence and we go around and it was just such a joy. There was nothing in that place. It was all dark and secure, but she made it so fun for me. And we, afterwards, she's just like, yeah, we did a good job. Good job, Rook. I was like, thanks. And then, um, Later on in life, she she um, she stopped becoming a cop and all that stuff. And then she ended up uh, killing herself. So I don't know what happened where her spiral just became so down, so so direct and so just powerful where she could not get the help she was looking for. And I think about her all the time because I remember this highly joyful uh, officer and just personality that was so caring and loving. And then she just, she said that she had had enough and she shot herself. So it's very, it's unfortunate. I just wish that there was a way to be able to fix it all. And I'm with you, Joe. I mean, it's it's very heartbreaking to know that you can't save everybody. Oh, hope is the wellspring of life. And all the things that chip away at our hope, chip away at ambition, chip away at achievement, and so that's again where language is so important when language is not designed to build each other up it's it's there's no good future down the road so when we hear the talk from the top it's not building each other up it's uh you are this and you are that and you are it's decay that's just the beginning of decay it is decay and it's just a matter of time before we see the source of that decay which we've already started seeing we see them in the, the violence. We see them in the, the mass shootings. Those are the eruptions of the sores of, of an infection that started way earlier, way earlier, because you can't do that unless you've thought about it. You aren't thinking about it unless it's somehow the seed is in your it's head. It's been there, yeah. So there's plenty of there's plenty of time where people can get in there and say, no, that's not acceptable. You're right. No, you can't look at people like that. You know how many times I put myself in a position even to protect cops and they don't know anything about it? I'm all alone somewhere with somebody who wants to do violence or imagining revenge or retribution because something happened to them. And and uh, I consider the one time when I was taken to San Francisco General after I almost jumped off. Uh, one of the, the men who stayed with me for a couple nights, uh, we shared a room. He was talking about how he wanted to, to blow up police stations because when he was 18, he was arrested and spent 10 years in jail in Hawaii. 10 of his prime years, Ooh. 18 to 28. Think of what you were doing from 18 to 28. Compare it to sitting in a cage and, and, and see the difference of quality of life. Yeah. Between. And so, so he's going on and he's talking about, you know, how he wants to do all this violence and he hates cops and all of this. And, and I'm laying here, we're in the same room, seventh floor, San Francisco General Hospital, psychiatric unit. And, and I tell him, you know, things have changed perhaps since he's been in there, but you can't talk that way now without possibly getting in trouble. And besides, cops have an important role to do. They have a very important job. And if there weren't those, they didn't have that job. Society would suck on levels you couldn't even imagine. And, you know, sorry you had your, those experiences. Well, suddenly he gets quiet, he, gets, he sits up, puts on his clothes, walks over, turns the light on, comes over to me and stands up over me. He goes, I could murder you right now. I mean, and he had, you know, he had all the, he was a scrapper. He already told me he was a scrapper in prison. He enjoyed beating people up and he got a lot of respect for it in prison. And now he's homeless in a psych unit and Life sucks, and he's got no problem going back to jail because he's respected there. He's got no problem going back to prison, and he wants to. And now he's standing over to me telling me he could murder me. And so here I am, and I knew he could. I, I'm, I'm in my boxers, my boxers and a t-shirt, laying in bed, my arms like this, nothing over me but a little blanket. Now I've got a man who has killed people in the past standing over me telling me that he could kill me. What do I do? And, you know, I did what I 
one thing that I need best to do. I said, the difference between me and you is I would defend someone if they attacked you, but you wouldn't defend me if someone attacked me. That's the difference between me and you. I would defend you, but you wouldn't defend me. And I closed my eyes like that, sleep, and then I woke up. <laughs> and that's, so that was but those were my words to him. That's the difference between me and you. I would defend you someone attacked you but you wouldn't defend me and the next day when the, one of the psychiatrists was doing her daily check-in she asked and i told her to check on him because i knew he was depressed i didn't say i didn't tell her what he told me i didn't tell her that he was threatening to kill cops didn't say any of that i just told him he's really depressed man he's he's beyond depressed really needs help big time he goes she goes oh so so are you telling me you, you think you're his counselor now that's all she got out of that? I know. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, oh, and that's when I, same, same reaction. I had to take oh a deep breath. Goodness. I had to take oh. a deep breath and go, wow. No, I'm just, I have reason to believe. I have very good reason to believe that he's very depressed right now. And he's as much support as you can get right now. Because if I, if I said the other thing, then it would be all, it would just take a different yeah. path. Um, Mr. Joe, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it man. has been a pleasure. Yeah. You know, uh, we have many good, many big days ahead of us. Many yeah, people many to help. Too, too. We, we, our many, many people to help. You know, uh, I didn't. I, I, I want to make sure that the things I said about the San Lance Police Department did not change your view on them in any way. No, no, no. Again, I love people, and I know that no matter what anyone's done in their past, we as individuals have a chance to be a whole new light for a person, a whole new example. So it doesn't really matter what anybody's been before, but before that instant that you meet somebody, because if you give the best example by the respect you give, it doesn't matter what they've done before because anybody can change at any instant to, to repent, to, to evolve, to mature, to just be a better person. And that just comes with understanding, I believe. And the only way they get that is by seeing it in somebody else. And so I look automatically at cops with respect, knowing that they're putting themselves on the line, which is a family, family trait for me to love people enough to put themselves on the line. Within that, there could always be the individuals who do wrong. But again, even them, I believe, it could be turned around. There is hope for all of humanity. And so I'm going to keep that. I've had good experiences with the department. Um, and I, I go out there with the coffee with the cops every now and then. I like keeping my finger on the pulse of humanity. And the best way to do that is to, to interact with the people who are out there doing it, who are out there keeping humanity safe the best they can, who are out there keeping humanity as as thriving as it can. And the only way it can thrive is if it feels safe. And the only way it can feel safe is if, if people know they can't just victimize other people without consequences. So when people have an illusion of, we don't need police, it's an illusion because as long as there's people who are willing to victimize people, you have to have the brave individuals who are willing to step in. I'm brave. And, uh, he just and, called me brave. Oh. Yeah, you have to be willing to. Yeah, you have to be willing to stand in there and be that defense and be that defining line of humanity. And that's what caring enough about others is. It's it's getting involved when it's time to get involved. It's not standing back and waiting for somebody else to do something. And I think big examples we have of that are the comparison of Uvalde even and um, Memphis. Is it Memphis where the school where the school shooting was, the Covenant? You know, you had the officers who were just waiting, oh, yeah, yeah. who were waiting yeah. for a command, waiting for permission, waiting for someone else to take the lead. No, but if you have enough love, you're gonna be like that mother who said, F all of you, I'm going in there to get my child. And those officers in the Uvalde situation we're waiting. It took all that time before the, the Border Patrol said, we're going in, we don't care, we get in trouble for it, we're going in. And humanity in general is like that. The best place to find a pair of helping hands is at the end of your own two arms. If we want the world to be a better place, we got to be the ones willing to make it that way and not waiting for someone else to do it. And part of that means that if someone's talking shit about another human being, you have we have to be willing enough to stand up and be a counter voice to that, to look for the good in others, to, to have empathy, to understand that, yeah, people have reasons for doing the things that might look terrible, but let's understand it. And sure, there are those who are malicious, and that's where it comes good to know there are predators and there are prey. And those who are going to be predatory, again, it's up to those who would be prey to recognize, wait a second, I got horns, so no, 
F you, F you, F you. And, uh, and that's kind of the world wants to make people forget. You don't have real sharp horns on top that's of your head. True. I'm going to bite you by the neck and you're going to accept it and like it, okay? No, I'm not. <laughs> so we need to be a little more. No, oh, I'm not. I love you're it. Not I gonna love it. Me. You're not going to victimize me. You're not going to teeth in me and stand our ground. But part of that is standing ground is also having enough faith that right down to the end, believe another person can see the light and turn around. And that's been important because while the people have come up to me and even meant me harm, because after leaving the ambulance, I made it my mission to walk the streets and try to understand and talk peace. And I would break groups up that were fighting people up that were fighting and it takes enough faith to get in there that even if you might get hit it's okay because that doesn't change the truth if i say something true and someone punches me in the face for it well it's still true so so i got punched in the face big deal i'll just wake up in a in a hospital and, and share my smile there you know uh, <laughs> but we have to have enough love and, and belief in other people that they can hear the truth that they are they deserve hearing it and are respected enough that we give it to them instead of resorting to name calling and and ultimately the worst things that can happen in society which is war even civil war we've proven that we can get along we have proven that even any differences we have we can see the best in each other work together and thrive and that's what we need to keep doing and not listen to those voices that say no it's them against us it's us against them only in an imagined world is it us against them otherwise we're all <laughs> together and we are all just walking each other home so let's be nice about it oh see case ed uncuffed episode <laughs> episode whoa 16 yeah it's going to it's gonna it's gonna end right there on a fantastic note and all that stuff. See you guys. You all you thought it was just me, man. This is this, no. There's a there's a revolution of people who are tired of the ugliness that's out there in the world. And um, oh, inch yeah. by inch, we're gonna figure out how the we're gonna figure out how to piece together and band together and get rid of the ills of this world. COVID was a nasty, nasty thing. But I think uh, if there's anything good out of it, from my point of view, this is just my point of view, um, it has exposed many of the ugliness and the snakes and the rats and stuff who've been hiding behind closed doors with this institutionalized type uh, attitudes and racism, if that's what you want to call it, and um, uh, discrimination against people who don't look like them. Now it's more even. And uh, if you look around, there's always these, there, there's steadily these, all these uh, head, guys of these corporations all over the place are now falling because of their inability to adjust to what's going on in the world love is going to prevail and this this guy right here mr joe he he is he exemplifies what's so beautiful about this world so case yet uncuffed is going to end it right there with this fantastic word man Man, tell, tell the world how much you love them again one more time, brother. Man, I, I love all of you. And it's <laughs> up to all of us to do this together. We're all going to make mistakes. We've all made mistakes. The absence of forgiveness is an arrow to the heart of the future. So let's not draw back that bow. Let's look for the best in each other. Have vision and work hard to make that happen. So, K-Shed, uncuffed, out. <laughs>